Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Broke Down Podcast. This is episode number 51. My name is Jonathan and I am glad that you are here with us. Our guest today is guitar player Tashi Dorji. He's an experimental player, he's an improviser, he's an interesting guy. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to first remind you that the Broke Down Podcast is a member of Osiris. Osiris is building a community to bring you podcasts, videos, and live events that connect you with the art and artists that you love. A brand new show on the Osiris Network is The Tapes Archive. The Tapes Archive features material from a journalist's vast archive of interviews of all kinds of folks. These tapes have never been heard. The first episode features a talk with George Carlin. The second is with Billy Joel. And out this week is an interview with Trey Anastasio of Fish. I got a sneak peek at this, and it is outstanding. So check out the Tapes Archive on your favorite podcast app, or head on over to OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans with the music they love and empowers them to go and see live music. Check them out at jambase.com. Okay, so our guest, Tashi Dorji, is an experimental guitar player. He plays fully improvised, free explorations, and his new record, Midden, is a duo set with guitarist John Dietrich of Deerhoof. It's a wild and weird and a hell of a trip. It's wild and weird and a hell of a trip. We'll hear a bit of it after our conversation. Before we spin the talk, let me remind you that you can find me on Twitter at BrokeDownPod, also on Instagram at BrokeDownPod. We are on Facebook still under BrokeDownPodcast. And of course, the website with all the show notes and whatnot is BrokeDownPodcast.blogspot.com. If you ever need a reminder of the playlist of the episode, or you want to find that link to the thing that I mentioned, always check out the website, brokedownpodcast.blogspot.com. Okay, so here we go. This is my talk with Tashi Dorji. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for agreeing to talk with me. I'm excited. I actually got your split record with Marissa Anderson a few years back. No way. Yeah, um, and I really, really loved it. So when when Caleb reached out to me and said, hey, do do you know Tashi Dorji? I said, yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Tell me more. And so, so here we are. I've checked out the new record with John Dietrich, uh, and it's called Midden for those listening. And yeah. it's it's terrific. It's really out there. Oh, um, glad you like it. Yeah, I'm it's more like John's playing. It's incredible. I, I'm very humble that he jammed with me. Uh, you know, I, I get that, but, uh, I don't, don't doubt yourself too much. I think you guys make a really terrific and interesting pairing. Yeah. yeah. I, I've listened Thank to you. a lot of different players and a lot of different, uh, areas of music. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, I was telling somebody else about the record today and one of the, the, the common ground, you know, to get into his head, the kind of thing I was talking about, you know, we landed on a, uh. There's a Thurston Moore Nels Klein live performance uh. duet that that you know it's it's not the same music because they're different guys but it's uh it's yeah it's definitely like a electric guitar duo right it put, the same, yeah in the same kind of a family I guess I might put them in a similar stack you know because you mm-hmm. guys are you guys are all pushing out and trying to. Mm seems like you're trying to craft new sounds with your guitars as you go so mm-hmm. um thank you very much yeah it's it's fun to listen to 
Um, I want to try to, you know, tell our audience a little bit about about you, but I, uh, maybe you can help me do it. So I understand you're from Bhutan. Yes, um, I'm from Bhutan, which is near Nepal, northeast of India. Yeah, uh, I came to the U.S. to study, and that led me to live here. And I have my I met my partner here. She and I have two children, um, and I also have a son who's 16. So these are like oh, many wow. many reasons why I ended up staying. But also, music is also a big part of the reason why I'm still here. But I go back home like you know, regularly. Once in a while. Yeah, pretty regularly. Yes. Cool. Um, that's that's a that's a long trip in it. Uh, you live in? Are yeah, you in, still in Asheville? Is that correct? Yes. So, My partner, she's from here, and I went to a small college here, and yeah, I've been here for a while, and yeah, since very uh, very different mountains, perhaps. Yes, <laughs> hills versus mountains. Were you uh, you were playing before you came over though? You started playing. How old were you when you started playing? Oh God, um, teen, like mid to late teen. Okay. I um, yeah, I started playing, but I was, I was early on. It was more like rock and roll, you know. So A lot what? Of just classic uh, rock, maybe. I don't even know. Our access to music was so limited, so anything that I could get hold of. And that's how I learned. What kind of things stick in your mind? What kind of things were that did you have? <laughs> Embarrassing. <of>? Um, <laughs> oh God, like okay, so this is Bhutan. We you know we really don't have any record stores. There's no the radio station. Really, there's one radio station at least back then. Now they have plenty of radio stations there. Back then, there's only one radio station that was like the Bhutan Broad- Broadcasting Service, which is the government radio station. They had music program like. Once a week, they would play music. Wow! So the, the, those the, the early on, those were like my access to Western sounds. But I grew up in a household like that. I, my dad, studied. He's well educated. Was a well educated man, and I he I had heard of Beatles and I remember like Willie Nelson or something like that. Cool. Cassettes. My dad had a few cassettes. Eric Clapton. Carpenters, I just remember, like just random Bonnie Ann. <laughs> remember that Caribbean disco band, like things like that. Oh wow, those, those are like my early. <laughs> so really, kind of a broad spectrum. Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very broad. And so you started playing. You were kind of leaning into those kinds of things. Is that accurate? So okay, so maybe when I was in like ninth grade, I had a friend of mine started learning how to play guitar then I had an older friend like old childhood friend who his name is Kinle and he was always kind of like a outlier in, in the sense of like how he was always he was studying outside the country he was going to high school in India this uh, Catholic I forget it was like a missionary school where he had more access to music and, and he, he was playing guitar when I met him he was like we were really young. We were like 14, 15. And he... So he actually... A summer, one of the summers... This is, I don't remember when, like 1997 or something. 
went to his home for the summer and he taught me like two chords like and taught me like I remember like Satellite of Love, Lou Reed, oh, wow. Neil Young, <laughs> Neil Young's Heart of Gold, and some I forget the name of the Beatles song. It was like a Sadie, or I forget. Sexy Sadie. Norwegian Wood. Yeah, yeah. Norwegian Wood. Guns and Roses. Like he taught me a bunch of songs. I remember. I was like, I want to learn. And he taught me like you know four or five chords and some of those songs. And after that, I just kind of. Uh, I was like, oh my god, I need to play more. And I had a friend in high school, a uh, close friend, and he was also learning how to play guitar. And you know, all this same catalog of musicians, like he was listening to Neil Young and learning some Neil Young songs and Doors. Then we started jamming together, and and I, I think after that, I was pretty much like hooked. Yeah, I got my mom to buy me a guitar from this expat, like a Swiss dude who was living at my neighbor's house, renting this, this young expat was renting a house, uh, renting a room. Cool. And he left his guitar for the family just as a gift, like a nylon string. And I really wanted a guitar and <laughs> my, my neighbor was like, you know, ask your mom, we'll sell it to you. And I begged my mom. She bought it, and and I just and started playing, that's, like nonstop. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, that's that's how it. A lot happens, of rock right? and roll. Yeah, and you know, you meet friends after that. People who are doing music, like who are playing music. This uh, kids with guitar, and you seek them out, and yeah, and I found these kids who are playing metal and learning how to play metal and some kids were playing blues and the kids were playing like cooler kids were playing blues and Grateful Dead they were like these cool kids and older kids who were in college they would come to the capital where we live and you know you know about their jam sessions and we go and hang out that's how I, I think early on I got you know, I was learning like hair metal band stuff like all this Cinderella to like name it Skid Row but then there was also like this incoming people who were going to college, older kids who were going to college, who were like into blues, just more interesting guitar music. And then that, I think that was around like a year after I started playing, I was like, oh, blues sounds really cool. And yeah, I, I think I started learning like everything I could. Yeah, you know that that hair metal is easy to dismiss, but a it was <laughs> ubiquitous for a time in the universe, um, and maybe that time was a, different in different countries. But you know, there was a point yeah. in my life where I was um, not switching like away from you it. You probably heard Cinderella, of course, of course. <laughs> um, I have a Bon Jovi record downstairs. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Me too. Yeah, Blaze of Glory. That was like my first cassette. Oh, awesome! We were just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we were rocking the slippery wind wet not too long ago, actually, with my oh, wife. Cause, actually, that's a good that's that's a good one, right? That's, yeah. I think that's considered a better Bon Jovi album. That's got the key hits. But we were talking about Blaze of Glory uh, when we were listening to it. <laughs> so you know, um, the video. I remember because we also used to get. So we didn't have TV at my house. We didn't have VCR or TV. But eventually, my family got a VCR and TV. Then. I had friends who had like pre-recorded music videos, MTV. Oh yeah, it was like amazing, and I was like, "Whoa, 
is this really happening? Like Bon Jovi's on the top of a Nessa, like <laughs> singing. What? Right. Like Cinderella, like whoa, this guy was like amazing. Like what? Yeah, they really put Thank a lot you, into stage production and stuff too, <laughs> yeah. which translated well to really flashy videos. Yeah, and that was like you know before I had seen like metal videos or Nirvana or whatever. Wow. I, I, so I was learning by ear, so you know everything was. So I learned this. I had really good ears, and I think I still do. Um, <laughs> and I eventually I like figured out how to navigate like what chords they were playing and you know some of them were not the right keys but i figured out you know bar chords okay you go all over the fretboard and you can figure it out and you know once you tune the guitar to whatever like there was ways that i remember as a young person like figuring out because i was so interested you know yeah it's like world like volcanic eruption of Western music. That was a pop music, but you know, to me, it was just like, whoa, this is incredible. Uh, so, when you came to the states for school, what what were you studying? Were you studying music? Um, or no, I was I was studying like I went to liberal arts school, and I was kind of a studying the school that I went to is pretty progressive and work college, and there was about. It opened me up to so many different things. I was studying like radical politics. <laughs> my, I was just, my mind was just like going crazy, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is!" I got into punk rock music when I first came to US, and because luckily I had uh, the guy next door was like, you know, had so many punk rock vinyls and records collection, and punk rock at least some of it dovetails nicely with radical politics too. Oh yeah, completely. And I was very interested. I was like, "Wow, like anarchists." Yeah. Listen to punk rock music. What a cool thing! Like all these kids look really cool. You know, and this <laughs> is the music, and it's like even cooler. And there's a sense and a purpose. And you know, I was kind of always a rebellious child, and I think it really tapped me in. And yeah, and earlier on, so okay, this progression. Like I was into anything that was on my you know, pop music to hair metal. Then eventually, I think I started discerning, my interest became more specific. I was like into heavier music and uh, I was very seriously into blues. A lot of acoustic, I, you know, eventually I, I heard Robert Johnson and I think Robert Johnson is the only like acoustic older Delta blues that was accessible. It seems like he's the most popular. Yeah. And the uh, like, uh, Eric Clapton. Um, so I, that's how, like, it started getting narrow, and I, I think that really helped me open my ears and probably back into the world of improvisation early on. And I'm through that, I remember hearing, because I was seeking a lot of times, I was just seeking out, you know, if I met an expat or knew of somebody from outside the country who were there, you know, working, volunteers. There were a lot of younger volunteers who used to come to Bhutan from Japan and US and Europe. And, you know, there were usually, there tend to be some musicians that would come in and, you know, they would play music and you would hear about them and you'd seek them. It's a small city, so. But I think I remember, yeah, I, I started playing with a bunch of expats and this one 
person, he was from New Zealand, and he was like a trumpet player, and he gave me the cassettes, recorded a dubbed cassettes of like Joe Pass, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, just things that I just was, I had no, I, I just didn't know what that music was about. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, that's coming from listening to metal and even blues and somebody hands you Miles Davis and John Coltrane or Joe Pass. <laughs> it was one of his like solo records and I was like, this is just insane. This is American music. I'm just like, I didn't know what jazz was. So. It's a completely different approach to guitar. I was lucky because I was so curious and in some ways like very like imaginative and I don't know, I was adventurous in some ways and dissatisfied with <laughs> well, you know where I was in some ways because of my curiosity because I'm like there's something else the world there's so many happening all these music videos are cool because there's all these things happening around the world that I think that led me into open years and you know early on, on I think hearing I, I remember hearing this specific record of Vishwa Mohanbaz and uh Rai Kuder, I don't know if you know this. Oh, yeah. It's called A Meeting by the River. The, it's like a, yeah. you know Indian modified guitar and Rai Kuder playing. And I think his walking, fin- oh, I forget his name, walking Kuder is playing like a percussion or something. I really feel like that record like really opened me up. Because I remember asking this person who was the radio DJ, like a, a person uh, for the Bhutanese radio station is this really charismatic human being and he was into so many different music and you know and I remember he invited me to come to his house to look at some cassettes he had and that record I remember he was like you have to listen to this this is like spiritual you know, mind-blowing music and I remember listening with like complete open heart but it was all you know it was open tuning and I remember feeling very interested and I remember going home and tuning my guitar from my mind what I heard and gave me the cassettes and I remember that's early on I think that's how I remember being like just kind of playing around and figuring out open tuning and other curious leanings that I was introduced to so when did you start into improv as a kind of a as a form because if I understand correctly you you you're not so much a composer in that you don't write pieces and then recreate them. You're mm-hmm. strictly improv. Is that is that correct? Yes, I only improvise. Um, I think I think there were like moments of when I was in college. I was in this. I always forget to tell this when people ask me. I was in this band. I forgot the name of the band, but I think it was really inspired by like. Bands like Godspeed and Black Emperor. It was like, cool. My, one of my first shows, early shows, one of the first four or five shows was Godspeed and Black Emperor here in Asheville. And also like Fugazi and like really good music. Oh, yeah. I think I remember I, I was in this band with like four other people, or five other people the trumpet, saxophone, guitar, bass, and drum. And it was all instrumental and improvisation. And that was, I feel like that was when I first started doing it, but it was not, nothing, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? <laughs> so it wasn't I a was, conscious, I, like, No, I'm it was just more like, this band, 
yeah, this band that I just saw is really cool, and I want to do something like that. And all these guys knew those bands, and they were like, yeah, let's play. And yeah, that was. But then I think seriously, as like a a practice, I started doing it around 2006 or five or six. When we moved to Maine, me and my partner, we moved to Maine briefly, and she was going to a midwifery school. We were living in Portland, Maine, and there was this there was this venue, like a small venue record store called Strange Maine. Okay. And they had like incredible amount of experimental music happening there every day, like the small shows, like tiny shows of like free jazz, improvised solo guitars, everything you can think of, psychedelic, kraut rock, like in a tiny setting and I think that completely blew my mind and you know it just made me more curious and more interested and I think around the same time I found I was always curious I would always ask people about you know free jazz guitar player or the new uh and I think Derek Billy was the name people too uh, yeah that one comes out quickly uh, when you yeah yeah and um Get the other guitarist. But he was one of the person, and I was at a record store, and there was a CD bin with like a discounted like three dollar CD bin, and there was Derek Billy's standards, like three or four dollars. Cool. I bought it, and um, I think it just like like flipped me around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm never gonna play like. Uh, I'm, this is this is this is like a this is like a what do you call it? This is like a gift so it, or something. There's well, a turning you know, point like, there oh, for you, right? There's a turning point. Like it was just like it was this whole album was so incredible, so simple, so bare bone, and incredibly astounding and beautiful. And I I think that was when I was like, okay, I want to play solo acoustic guitar or whatever guitar music is infinite possibility so nowadays you play acoustic but you also play electric um, I've heard yes. a bit of both I, I I have a few of your albums but I, I went back and you've got an extensive band camp which is awesome mm-hmm. and will cost me a lot of money over time but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you've got a lot of different projects and, uh, and one of the things mm-hmm. I found interesting because I've I've listened to obviously the new record Midden, and I've uh, mm-hmm. listened to your previous record that uh, Caleb put out, the, the "But a Night That Ends as All Nights mm-hmm. End When the Sun Rises." Mm-hmm. What a great mm-hmm. name! Um, which is strictly solo, but uh, I yes. really was kind of excited by some of the other collaborative pieces, like the uh, the records with um, Tyler Damon. Mm-hmm. That I mean, there's one of the ones I listened to. It just completely blew my mind because he is mm-hmm. like yourself, a very free and open player. But I can tell there's a lot of very focused listening. It's not like you guys are just wailing mm-hmm. away. So, uh, talk to me about collaborating with one, or I know you've got several with larger like trios and whatnot. Talk mm-hmm. to me about that as an improviser. What's uh, do you prepare? Do you talk to one another beforehand, or do you just go? Or is it different depending on who you're working with? Or not really. Um, so I started 
improvising with other people. Um, so I was putting out you know, a few solo records here and there, and um, you know my world was opening up to all this world of improvisation, which seems I mean it's it's a huge huge world of catalog of music of so many different people. But the 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 thing that struck me was was the collaborative nature of improvising world, you know. Even with Derek Bailey, he just collaborated with his, like insane amount of people, like unrelenting. And I think that like motivated me. But also, I think I had like some kind of urgency. I was like, okay, I don't know, things are pretty unstable, uncertain. <laughs> I should start playing with everybody and and navigate this world of sonic adventure relentlessly and fulfill. I don't know the desire to understand what what it feels like to play with a saxophone what does it feel like feels like to play a percussionist and get those I, I this feeling of like wanting to be on the top of the mountain or something like i wanted to feel i whenever i heard records of people's collaboration with this was like i wanted to do that too and isn't that imagination and curiosity and the urgency kind of led me into that and yeah and whenever i collaborate with most of these people it's there's nothing really no it's, it's pretty open field it's like pretty horizontal it's like one of the most democratic anarchistic thing that I've, I've ever put into practice as a praxis right you know, it's it, it's an incredible feeling because I feel like improvising music is one of the most radical forms of music and it, it is to me at least personally I feel like it's one of the most important form of music that is happening now and it'll be important for this times and forward. The, the amount of imagination, creativity, and the political nature of this music, whether it's political or not, is very profoundly important. And yeah, and now it is becoming its focus. You know, now it's more this, this element of political nature of it and also elements of growing as a musician and with other musicians that you respect and recognize that you need your need to be um, affiliated with them as a musician so yeah and you know once you put out a lot of music and once you because I've been improvising for the last you know quite a while now I think it just opens up it's just like just the, the all the inhibition is gone in so many ways you know because you just like because this this world of improvising music becomes an exciting i don't know geographical musical geography <laughs> yeah well i mean you you definitely paint some landscapes with the uh with sound um mm -hmm. now that's that definitely some mixed metaphors but um <laughs> it's it, it's powerful and fascinating to listen to we're gonna play everybody a little bit from the new record just to give them a give them an idea of what we're talking about um uh when we're done talking here so uh, mm -hmm. uh they'll, they'll get a good picture of it and then i'll make sure they have some yeah. links to all the other things you you mentioned the political nature of this thing this music and this practice of improvising um and you mm -hmm. threw out two seemingly but not necessarily contradictory words of democratic and an anarchy 
<laughs> could you elaborate on that? I mean, what? Talk to me about how or in what way you see it as political. I think the nature of it being non-hierarchical. First of all, I, I use the word anarchistic. I think that's more relevant. Horizontal and anarchistic is more closer because I feel like improvising music to me as a practice is horizontal and is non-hierarchical, and the conversation is built within this rhizomatic kind of a rhizomatic mechanism that takes place like it just flourishes in itself and the conversation is in the na- in the nature of immediacy and now when you create that music and there's you know we don't tell each other what to do and that to me is profoundly i don't know political in the sense of we live in a pretty structured hierarchical yeah um, confined of you know pretty totalitarian world these days and i feel like this the improvising music opens me up to what it feels like to be in a horizontal world of infinite possibilities. Yeah, yeah sound. Nobody's telling anybody what to do. You can be free. No. Right? But also at the same time, you create a, a conversation and discourse, you know, that profoundly affects people around you and yourself. positive. (laughs) Well, I've I've ridden the wave of a show like the kind of thing that you put on. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing you yet, but uh, Mm. I've I've seen music of this nature, and I definitely have experienced that um, where it's uh, it kind of picks you up and takes you somewhere, and yeah, and listening to everybody kind of listening to them converse. And just kind of mm-hmm. feeling that wrap around uh, you as a listener, an audience member, or listening it to a record at home. Uh, yeah, it's, it can anything be pretty that, great. Yeah, yeah, anything that can. Seems like I don't know. This thing is like you know imperfect. I feel like music that I play, music that I'm around, it's all imperfection. It's 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 incomplete. It disappears. It it, it appears and it disappears. You know, and just the fact that people are people who are listening can see and hear you play, I feel like it. It, it, it you have to open your mind. You know, you have to open your heart and to understand. To I, I feel like that's that's like an important aspect of that music. It's it's uncomfortable. It's it's non-binary. It's it's non-dualistic music. It's there's no standards. It's it kind of plays it's you know it destroys the, all the notions of rigidity and um yeah i think you i think you've definitely covered it there i think that's yeah. great and um i i want to turn a corner here because i ask everybody on this show it is ostensibly a grateful dead podcast although i'm really yeah. trying to put what they did into new contexts by introducing the listeners to other things or yeah yeah um, uh, it, you mentioned grateful dead earlier though so i kind of have to pull on that thread is that <laughs> something that you explored as a listener i never did uh, that's fair i knew they were so okay so i there was growing up in high school there were older kids who were in a 
kind of like more solid band. They used to play Grateful Dead. They were like a big Grateful Dead fans. And God, oh, the only song I remember was like Black Muddy River. Or, uh, oh, yeah. Something like that. That's a, that's a great ballad. Yeah, yeah. I remember they played that. Uh, they, you know, it was like, it was a cool band. Like, I, I, the name sounded really crazy and weird. I remember being like, what the hell is this band? <laughs> and right it was on. like, <laughs> Grateful Dead. Deadheads, uh, but it, I, so I, I remember they played a couple of their songs, but I remember hearing more. Most struck by Jerry Garcia later on because I heard one of my friend's brother had a CD of Jerry Garcia's collaboration. With, I forget, like a mandolin player and David Grisman, most likely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grisman, yeah, yeah. It was like. I, now I know it's like bluegrass. It's kind of a very virtuoso bluegrass, new grass, whatever progressive music. And I remember being, you know, feeling that or thinking that it was pretty amazing. But it was pretty limited. I mean, I feel like Grateful Dead is. I know it's like a phenomenon in U.S., but I don't think it hit that part of the world as much as like Beatles or. It's. Fascinating to think of a uh, Bhutanese uh, band playing. They were definitely fans of Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of awesome. But they were older kids who were in college, you know? Right. The kids who were also teaching me blues were also listening to Grateful Dead, and I think they were also smoking pot, and there was all this like, oh, that's cool music. Well, um, yeah, that's so. We deadheads, uh, you know, we like to to note that we are everywhere, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's just one more one more country to check off. There's somebody there. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of amazing and, uh, and yeah. terrific. <laughs> so I'll tell should, you though, I should listen to Grateful Dead more. I, I haven't, sadly. Well, uh, you know, let me. T- I I got a great podcast you could check out. That uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember uh, somebody, this older dude here. I mean, Asheville has, you know, obviously very big. Oh, yeah. They're so dead. Scene. This older person gave me like five or six cassettes like, of, you know, Grateful Dead live recordings. Colorado, nice. forget, like Oakland, right. some random stuff. And he said those are like some of the best stuff. And you know, he was like, you know, I know you like, you know, weird experimental stuff. Grateful Dead was doing that, like, we're in the seventies, and you know, you gotta listen to this. <laughs> There's some really wacky stuff. I never got around to because of the cassette because it was so long. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember listening to like them sound checking and just like kind of messing around. And it was it was in my house and it was playing really loud, and it sounded insane. I was like in the bathroom or something. It was just, just like. The tuning interlude, or I don't know what it was. Sounds. It was just like, yeah, it was sounded insane. It was just. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember being like, "Wait, that that's Grateful Dead." Yeah, they they, they, they went right went into the song or something. They definitely cover a lot of ground, even when they're not actually playing a song. There's uh, there's a there's something there's something happening, crackling on stage, if you will. Yeah, there's a lot of pauses, <laughs> and that's when I was like, "Okay, I can't. Okay, what's going on?" This the the cassette started with them like tuning their guitar or something, but it was like like thirty minutes later before like anything happened. But it just intermittently there would be like <laughs> random guitar thing like 
crashing in and there were like drum rolls happening and it's like wait and people are like cheering you can hear people talking it was awesome it's i i think you put that tape on on side b set to side b so space <laughs> out of drums and uh they were they were improvising in some way um yeah yeah completely yeah, i think that's I probably possibly what was happening there but there is actually a pretty famous mix that someone made and put out on the, on the internet of uh i think it's about 12 hours it's a 12 hour mix of the grateful dead tuning between songs so uh whoa yeah and uh it's so i was right it's wild I was like, that's pretty amazing deadheads are that kind of uh manic that we will we'll do that in a heartbeat and if you tell another deadhead that exists they'll be like yeah that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> i know there's like a wasn't there, isn't there a collaboration between ornette coleman and jerry played on jerry, jerry played on an ornette coleman record um in the i want to say it's in the 80s and i can't remember the name of it right now and ornette actually he played with them in 93. He opened for them for the, a run of shows they played in Oakland, Ca- Oakland, California for Mardi Gras. And he sat in with them. And in fact, I, I played a clip of that a couple episodes ago. We had Ryan Jewell on the show and he picked that clip mm. and we played it, where it, him jamming with them in space. So there was a, you know, pure improv, you know, not wow. a song kind of act uh, stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I, Will you I'll, send me the link? I'll it's send it possible? to you. I'll definitely send it to you. So. I've definitely heard that uh, about that um, meeting. I'm, yeah, I'm it's, it's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to th- before I let you go, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for joining well, me and talking with me. Uh, I'm very excited about your new record, and uh, mm-hmm. I think other people should be too. So we'll uh, we'll have to play it for them. And yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for speaking to me. Absolutely. So thanks again to Tashi for speaking with me. He is not a deadhead, but I couldn't pass up the chance to talk about improvisation with him. His new album, Midden, is out September 3rd on Moon Records. That's moon with an E, M-O-O-N-E records.bandcamp.com. The album consists of two sidelong compositions, so we'll just spin a few minutes from the start of side one.
All right, as I said, be sure to check out Midden from Tashi Dorji and John Dietrich on Moon Records if you want to hear where that goes. I've got some Grateful Dead ahead of us, but first, I want to spend a couple minutes here ruminating over festivals. Woodstock 50 failed to coalesce last month due to a series of misadventures, but in 2019, did we need a Woodstock? I listened to WXPN's Woodstock 69, 50 Years On broadcast on that very weekend, and it was a pleasure to immerse myself in that bit of history. But here, today, no one festival can be all-encompassing, and nor should it, really. Bonnaroo comes pretty close, right? It covers a wide range of music, from very mainstream to modern jammers, and a bunch of old-school cats tend to show up every year, too. Coachella and Lollapalooza cover pop and indie, and then everybody else just kind of lays out there in the middle, right? Uh, this week, I listened to a bunch of the Lachen Festival, which, to my mind, kind of closely amplifies and commodifies the thing that my generation always thought Woodstock should have been. I mean, we have all these bands in one place. Where are the sit-ins? Pete Shapiro, who produces Lockin, knows that feeling, I think, and he's created a festival where that sort of thing, bands connecting with other bands, is a key component. He's also got the rotating stage that Woodstock had until the dead's gear got on it. So, last night, I watched Trey Anastasio and Doyle Bramall II join Tedeschi Trucks Band and play all of the Derek and the Domino's Layla album. It was terrific. I mean, the stuff of dreams, right? Earlier in the day, I watched Bob Weir sit in with O'Teal and friends and sing Weather Report Suite. A full weather report, guys, with horns, female backing vocals, all the kinds of sounds that you want. Overall, it was a great set. O'Teal with Melvin, Neil Casal, and so many, many more. Eric Krasno, by the way, really threw down on a couple things I saw him on yesterday. Anyway, I've said a lot and not really made much of a point, but I think what I'm driving at is... We don't really need another Woodstock. We have Woodstock. We have a couple of them. We probably have at least one more than we need. But really, in 2019, Woodstock is kind of everywhere, right? Okay, enough of that nonsense. Let's play some Grateful Dead for you guys. We are looking back 45 years to this very month. The Grateful Dead were in Europe playing a tour that drove their desire to retire from the road. This show, September 14th, 1974, was at the Olympia Halle in Munich, West Germany. We're getting a bit from each set, starting with Promised Land into Road Jimmy. That one's quite special to me. And then it's followed by the Weather Report Suite. We then switch over to the second set for Eyes of the World into One More Saturday Night. This basically covers the gamut, right? Other than the deep, deep space jamming that we don't really get out of this, and I did skip over Phil and Ned because we just played that a couple episodes ago, um, I think that kind of covers a flavor of 1974 debt, though, and I think you guys will dig it. Well, that's it for this go-round. Check out all the social media links I told you about before. Twitter at BrokeDownPod, Instagram at BrokeDownPod. The website, as always, is BrokeDownPodcast.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening to the Broke Down Podcast. We will be back soon. Until next time, be well.
Tigers.